My name is Yesenia Funes. I am a journalist who's been covering um, issues around climate change, environmental act, um, activism, environmental racism for um, 10 years this year. Uh, wow. I'm currently the editor at large for Atmos, which is an independent um, nonprofit magazine covering climate through a cultural lens. Um, and I've also written for publications like The Guardian, National Geographic, Vox, uh, Vogue. Um, but, you know, more than just, I guess, my professional background, I'm also um, the child of Salvadorian immigrants, um, a queer Latina woman living in New York, um, a child of the diaspora, um, and, and a real fierce advocate for human rights. Yeah, that's awesome. And I kind of just wanted to start um, because for my listeners, <clears throat> the reason I first heard about you was through Atmos, which I read and I absolutely love as a publication. Um, if you could just walk my listeners through like the mission of Atmos and how you got involved um, and sort of, how, sort of how it's evolved over time, that would be awesome. Yeah, so Atmos is a publication that, um, you know, from my understanding, I'm not a part of its founding, um, really sort of strove to fill a gap within the climate um, journalism and, you know, climate magazine space in the sense of trying to find creative ways to tell climate stories um, and trying to find emotional ways to tell climate stories that we're not just about science and data, but that we're also about people and our culture and our art and um, yeah, the richness of, of who we are as a people. Um, and so Amos has been doing that via its you know print magazine. It, we publish two magazines a year. Um, and also our news site where we publish daily and our Instagram where we um, post daily. And so it's really trying to sort of meet that challenge of the climate crisis by inspiring readers, um, mobilizing um, folks to get involved and, you know, educating people on the sort of ways that climate touches everything. Um, and while I was there, I joined in 2020 um, to launch uh, the, the Frontline, which was the environmental and climate justice newsletter that I ran mm -hmm. there. Um, really trying to pave a space for Amos to be a leading voice on climate and environmental justice coverage. Um, and so I spent uh, two and a half years there doing that. And, you know, I still write for Amos uh, once a month. I, I write a story every month for the magazine, um, but I'm now a freelancer. So I'm no longer publishing the front line for Amos, though they're still doing incredible coverage on justice and equity issues. Gotcha. Wow, that's amazing. For me, I always find it really interesting how people kind of get involved in that space and how stories are told. And I was just curious, like, what was one of the hardest parts about telling those stories? And would would you do the digging and the searching or would those stories come to you? Yeah, I mean, in the work of journalism, it's a big, it's a bit of a mix, you know. Um, sometimes there are stories that... Um, follow my lap, so to speak, you know, stories that um, sources bring to me that they really want coverage of. Sometimes I have questions that sort of guide my own digging that lead me to stories. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think that what, what makes this work really challenging is the weight of um, the urgency of everything. You know, I think that yeah. um, you know, the climate crisis is a heavy thing for all of us, but I certainly think that those of us who are particularly tuned in to the human um, rights issues and the injustices that communities are facing both here in the U.S. but across the globe, um, it's, it's, you know, difficult to sort of reckon with um, the lack of action or the the delayed action from like, you know, government officials or even for me, like other journalists and their sort of unwillingness to, to cover this issue um, mm-hmm. in a way that really like sheds light on um, how much suffering is happening. Um, but, you know, it's also really rewarding because alongside um you know, the the pollution that communities are facing or the disasters that they're surviving. Um, they're also trying to find solutions to them, right? Like many of these communities, um, whether that's in the Gulf South or like California Central Valley, they know what they need. Um, and it's a matter of like giving them the resources and the platform to advocate for those things. Um, and so that's been really inspiring for me is just being able to connect with folks who, um, you know, refuse to back down from like these sort of, uh, you know, huge companies and 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 really wrongdoer, like villainous players in their stories um, who have all the resources in the world to like take them down. Um, and yet these community members, these frontline activists uh, refuse to. Um, yeah. And that's really inspiring to me uh, is their sort of unwavering resistance um, to this ongoing like attack, right, that they face on um, the ongoing violence that many of these communities face from polluters or um, industry players or, you know, even government officials who continue to, like, deem their their community sacrifice zones. Yeah. And is there, like, a specific story that comes to mind to you that, that really strikes a chord um, that might be useful to share? Yeah, I mean, there's so many stories that I've worked on. There's one story in particular that is probably like my favorite story that I've had the honor to to report on. Um, it's called Dust and Bones. It published in 2022. And that story followed um, new research showing how deadly um, the American Southwest will become for migrants crossing into the U.S. Um, because of how much hotter the region is going to become. And so, you know, the the U.S. Southwest is real extreme desert ecosystem. And it's also where um, many migrants uh, across the border in Arizona and in Texas to reach the U.S. Um, And my story, you know, really attempted to humanize um, this journey that that many folks take to reach um, the U.S. And of course, you know, folks who didn't want to leave home, but felt they had no other choice. And so for that story, I actually got to join a search and rescue group that um, walks through the desert to look for folks who have gone missing, whether that's someone who they're hoping is still alive or just someone's remains to put, you know, to give their family some ease. Um, And so I joined that group um, for a search um, to write that story. And that experience in and of itself was, um, life-changing, really trying to get a sense of how extreme, how hot, how deadly it feels to walk through those lands. Um, 
was really impactful, I think, for me as a reporter. Um, and I think it really shone through in that piece, um, just trying to give readers a sense of that reality. Um, yeah. I think that story really sort of illustrates, uh, you know, the 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 important role that like, everyday people play um, in terms of trying to address, you know, various issues in this case, um, you know, the human rights crisis at the border, but also the, the ways that um, climate change is going to continue affecting and changing our world, like, absolutely i feel like it's such um it's such an interesting conversation too you know climate change so intersectional in a lot of ways and i think something that stuck out to me when you were speaking was that migration piece which I know is being talked about a lot more now, but even, you know, I find myself sometimes having that bias of thinking about environmental justice just from the U.S. lens. But then being a Latina, I also wanted to make space for that conversation because I think um, it's really interesting to see the other kinds of ways that other communities in Latin America are talking about climate change. And I wonder if you have any you know, insight into that a little bit. I don't know if Atmos um, digs into that. Yeah, I mean, I've spent some time doing reporting throughout Latin America. Um, this is, it's a region that's really near and dear to me. As I mentioned, you know, my parents are from El Salvador and my parents um, migrated here, um, you know, post-Civil War and um, in search of like economic opportunities. Um, and so, it's really important to me to make sure that those stories are being told in this region. Um, I think that every country has its own sort of like culture and beliefs around climate change. I think it's a really, really interesting Mm. question, you know, is like how are communities in Latin America or just globally thinking about climate change. And I think that from reporting I've done at least, you know, I've been to Nicaragua. um, That's where my family's from. My sense is that people who are like living through climate change now, right? Many of these coastal communities who are experiencing drought or experiencing hurricanes, um, they don't necessarily call climate change by its name. You know what I mean? But they are aware that something's not right and that there is a sort of imbalance in in the world, on the land, in the water. Mm -hmm. Um, And the sense I get from a lot of folks is, is you know, there's a lot of fear. Um, of course, I haven't visited, you know, all of Latin America, and I've done yeah. reporting remotely as well, and haven't been on the ground in many places. But I do think that climate change is something folks are seeing, and it's something that we need to talk about more um, among our communities, whether that's like me as a journalist, but even just like me as like a Latina talking to my mom about it, you know, and yeah to my like tias and tios and i think that for those of us who are aware we have a responsibility to to talk more about it and inform folks um there's also this sort of like religious element that is really fascinating to me you know um like my partner his parents are really religious and when they think of climate change they sort of see it as like god's will or something you know and um that's sort of like something I've been thinking a lot about. It's just like, what is the role that religion plays in our climate mm. action, Latinos? And 
is there a way to sort of like plug into religion as a way to motivate folks rather than as yeah. a way to like uh paralyze and like yeah sort of accept this like doomism reality which is the sense i get from some people and it's actually terrifying to think like you know this is like the moment that you know i don't know hell raises or something i'm not religious so i don't understand <laughs> many of those things but um it's scary yeah. to me that, that religion is sort of used as like a scapegoat to uh taking action on climate change by by some latino communities and i, and I think that there could be um a sort of action element instead of that mm. in action that i think some folks are turning to yeah, that's fascinating. And it's something that I've wanted to explore a little bit more because my my undergraduate university, Boston College, it's a Jesuit university. And the Pope has been very vocal about climate change mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, Catholics have a duty to sort of do something about it and mobilize, as you were saying. And so I think that, and, you know, they had talked about having a a pavilion um, at COP, which would allow people, I think, an, another entry point into climate change. And so I definitely think that that's something really interesting to explore and, and talk about. Um, and I wanted to also take a moment to talk about what you said about that language component, about how different, they're not necessarily saying climate change, but they're sort of hinting at that rhetoric. Um, because I feel like one of the things I love about Atmos is the way that language, you know, I've seen carousel posts where there are certain words that are talked about and there's this like deeper rooted meaning to it that I had never heard of before. And I just kind of wanted to spotlight that because it brings me a lot of joy and peace to be able to understand nature in a way that, you know, language can do like when you're looking at other languages really is such a cool aspect of Atmos that I think most people aren't talking about. No, I mean, language is so powerful. Yeah. We're speaking in English and just like the terms we use, right? Like climate emergency versus climate change, but also Mm. the nuance of all these other languages that um, are also going extinct, right? Like we talk about the climate crisis and the impact it's having on biodiversity, but there's also it's having on like cultures and indigenous communities whose languages are also endangered, right? Um, and in part because of the the violence and the persecution they face from like, you know, people trying to mine or log their forests. And so, yeah, there's like so much, I think, underneath that sort of language point. Um, but it's one of my favorite things that Amos does too, is like learning new um, phrases and new languages in general um, that, that could sort of provide some context for, um, yeah, how we perceive the world. Like, my, one of my favorite movies is um, Arrival. Have you seen Arrival? No, I haven't. It's, I don't want to like, you know, spoil it, but pretty much like an underlying theme there is just understanding uh, the language of like these aliens that arrived to the planet and how learning new languages and speaking languages of another culture can transform your entire worldview and like really just transform your reality and um Mm. fascinating yeah no thank you for the recommendation you kind of stole my my last question which was going to be about you know book recommendations and and things to watch (laughs) but yeah one of the other questions I had was just about the actual Atmos team I am curious about just like how you guys 
get writers. And if any of my listeners as well are writers, like I wanted to give folks an opportunity to contribute or to, you know, be a part of that ecosystem. What do you suggest for that? Yes. Um, well, again, I'm not on staff on Atmos anymore, but there are two editors there. One handles climate stories. The other handles culture stories. Um, Jason Dean handles the climate stories and Daphne Milner handles the culture stories. And they're wonderful folks and they're always taking pitches. Um, you know, folks just need to send an email. It's uh, I think the emails are climate at atmos.earth and culture mm. at atmos.earth. So they can send their pitches. Cool. That way, um, and our print magazine, you know, twice a year sort of um, accepts pitches on a rolling basis. It's always theme-based. Um, mm. And Willow, our EIC, is is really um, the one who who leads the print team. So definitely reach out to her if there's ever any story ideas that feel pertinent to print. Um, you know, the Atmos ecosystem really, really depends on its freelancers and its mm. thinkers who are not on staff to... Uh, contribute their stories and their photos um yeah so definitely definitely reach out um yeah 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 um and then I just wanted to ask you any recommendations I know you mentioned arrivals um books movies films things that would not only help educate my listeners on climate and environmental justice but climate change in general yeah well arrival is not a climate film but it was a great piece of art (laughs) (laughs) um i actually just finished this book uh by robin walkmer people probably have suggested it here already um bringing sweetgrass and it was such a delightful read for me um it's been like a long time in the making for me to finally read that story i Mm. also read that that collection of, of essays i also recently finished um a book by my great friend stephen robert miller over the seawall that talks about um adaptation just like what happens when governments sort of rush in to do something that they think will fix a problem that actually makes a problem worse um and mm-hmm. it's just really fa- fascinating sort of like investigation into or rather it's more of like a cautionary tale about um taking our time and being really intentional in terms of what government leaders do to try to you know, adapt to or um, address climate change. It was an excellent book and really hope that folks um, get a chance to read it. I've been reading a lot of other non-climate stuff because I actually try mm. to less climate things in my free time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if there's ever a need for like fantasy recommendations, I have all of those. Mm. Whoever wants to keep up my work, I also publish a newsletter um, called Possibilities. It's my own. And where can people find you on social and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So my username is pretty much the same everywhere. It's yes, fun with two S's. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Yesenia. I absolutely enjoyed this conversation and really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Deanna. It's such a pleasure.